But this morning we are going to move on. Last week we wrapped up our That's Not in the Bible series. And uh, we're going to move on this morning. And we're going to get into the Christmas uh, message just a little bit. And um, I've entitled this new series, Reason for Hope. So we're going to be in Luke 2 in just a minute and start turning there. But I've entitled this series, we're going to do, I think, four parts going into the Christmas Eve night. But, but we're looking at reason for hope. Or even the way I kind of thought about it this way, we might even look at this and see reasons for hope. We're going to look at some of the reasons in Scripture why we have hope in the Christmas season. As I started thinking about this, has anybody um, been watching lots of Netflix recently? Does anybody like go crazy with the Netflix Christmas shows that come on? Like my wife loves them. I feel like we've been watching a lot of Christmas movies on Netflix. I like the more classic ones like Home Alone or something like that or National Lampoons. But my wife likes these new like romantic Christmas comedies. But you're probably sitting there and you can tell me about the plot of most of those movies, right? So there's like this cute girl and... Uh, she meets this cute guy around the, the Christmas holiday, and something crazy happens, right? There's some crisis that happens, and they're like, how are we going to fix this crisis? And of course, right at the end, by the end, uh, some miracle, Christmas miracle happens, and the crisis is averted, and, and, and everything goes well, and, and, and Christmas, Christmas spirit is, is spread for everyone. When you're maybe thinking about these, you might be thinking of even some of your own Christmas crises. It sometimes feels like this time of year, like in the craziness, the busyness, the spending uh, money on gifts and, and, and running around and, and how crazy the stores get. Like, like, don't go to Walmart the week at Christmas. It's a bad idea. But it gets crazy, right? And you can have, sometimes we feel like we have our own Christmas crises. You might even be thinking about one right now. But I think sometimes in the midst of the crazy we miss the whole reason for the season. And all this craziness, all the things going on, and going to shopping at Walmart, and, and everything that we encounter, we sometimes miss the reason for the season. So in this series, we're going to get back to that. We're going to look at our reasons for hope. In Christmas, we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So we're celebrating our Christ, Christ our Savior, coming for us. And so in the good of holidays, because there's a lot of good in the holidays, but also in the crazy and the crisis and, and the things that, that, that don't go as planned in the holidays, we're going to look at the reasons that we celebrate to focus on Jesus Christ and his birth. So in this series, I want us to, to kind of pause. I want, to, I want you, when you come in the doors, and you're thinking about this week, hit pause on the craziness of Christmas. When you come in here, sit down and focus and, and hear God's word on how you might have hope in the midst of the crazy and the crisis and everything going on. So kind of the goal of this series is to unpack it a little bit. The goal is that I want us uh, to, to find hope this Christmas series. Find, find hope in this Christmas season and to cling to it, to grab it, to say that's where our hope is. So I want us to, to, to grab onto that, and I want it to stir our hearts, and I want, us, want it to drive us to a better relationship with Christ. So that's what's awesome about Christmas, and all the presents, and spending time with family, and eating food, and all the things 
that are awesome. I want us to be driven to a better relationship with Christ. But secondly, and, and most importantly, I want you to not only cling to that hope, but the other thing that we have in Christmas is an opportunity to share hope. So as we cling to that, as we draw closer to Christ as our Savior, we can share hope with others. I'm not just going to leave you hanging there. I'm going to tell you kind of how to do that. The, the, the best way uh, that, that you can not only find hope, but also share that hope, to give that hope, to, to, to give the best gift this year, because hope is the best thing that you can give. So if you're looking of hope, looking for hope, capstone, being at church, being in God's word, and reading about what Christ is doing, that will give us hope. And then I want to challenge you, as we're reading about these things and we're hearing the hope of Christ, to step out. Get out of your comfort zone a little bit in this season and share that hope with somebody. Be challenged to, to actually make a difference in someone's life. Kind of like this video was talking about, to be encouraged to invite someone to a Christmas <coughs> Eve service. There's not a better service to invite, maybe, maybe besides Easter. But it's a great service to invite someone. I mean, we're going to have hot chocolate and cookies, right? Just tell them that. Say, hey, I want you to come to church with me. we got hot chocolate. That would get me there, right? So tell them, invite them. And step out of your comfort zone and invite them to church. Or give in a way that makes a difference to, to, to give so much that hurts this Christmas season. And most of all, to love someone beyond what seems humanly possible. As we're looking at Jesus to see the heart of this, we'll find our motivation. So we're going to be talking about hope, and we're looking at these reasons for hope. And I, and I had to look up a good definition of hope. Hope is, is, is not only desiring that something good would happen in the future. Hope is expecting something good to happen in the future. Usually when we talk about hope, it kind of holds this uh, feeling of uncertainty. Like uh, I might say, man, I, I hope I have pizza for lunch. Like, it's kind of because I'm uncertain. I, well, I hope we have pizza. There's not, not certainty behind that. Or, like, sometimes you write a check or swipe the card, and you're like, man, I hope there's money in that account. <laughs> right? That's what we usually think of when we talk about hope. Like, man, I want steak for dinner. In contrast, biblical, Christ-centered hope says that we desire good for the future, and then we're so used to God's nature that we expect it to happen. That's what hope is. Being so in tune with God's nature and who he is and his track record that it's not wishful thinking. But we expect what he says to happen. You see, real hope is not based on mathematical or logical certainties. Real hope is based on the character of God. This Christmas we can have hope because God has a plan for our lives. And we can have confidence that he's going to work that out. That's where our hope comes from. So when we start talking about God and his hope and being certain of his character, see, God has good intentions for us. See, I start thinking about this. How do I know that God has good intentions for us? For me, there's some things like, like, like there's good coffee. Okay, God's got good intentions, right? Or like, man, I've got an awesome wife and two beautiful kids. Man, those are good things. God's intentions are good, or there's food in the fridge. Let me think bigger picture, picture, a free country. Or how about this, living in Montana, right? God's got some good intentions. We all could be in Texas or somewhere right now. I have nothing against Texas, but 
I like Montana, right? God has good intentions. We have people that love us. We have air to breathe. We have sunshine on our face. We have a new day to live. God's intentions are good. Most of all, we have a Savior that has loved us so much that he died on the cross for us. So when we talk about hope, we're talking about expecting God to do what he says he's going to do. Those are the kind of things that we're looking at. That's his character. Those are the things that we can stake our flag on. These things reveal God's character. More importantly, his word reveals his plan. So we're talking about hope. That's what we hope in. So you you can go home and throw away your lucky rabbits for today. So this morning we're going to look at the first reason for hope in this season. So it's taken me a little while to get here, but finally we're to our passage. If you take one thing away this morning, here's the theme that I want you to get from this sermon. We have hope because God knows when to show up. We have hope because because God knows when to show up. So this morning we're going to be in Luke 2. Hopefully you are there. We're going to read the first seven verses. So if you would, read with me. Starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them so this morning, I want to jump, we're jumping right into it. Like, we're going to talk about Jesus being born, but the way we're going to look at it this morning is we're going to look a little bit in the past and, and what implications this showing up of Jesus Christ had on, on the years past. So what Luke is trying to do for us is he's trying to give us a great record of, of, of what happened. I, I love how he starts his book in verse 1. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have, have carefully investigated everything from beginning, from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of these things you have been taught. So we're jumping in, and we're seeing Luke is trying to give us an account so that, that, that like Theophilus, his friend, we can have certainty in the things that he's telling us about Jesus. If we know more about Luke, history holds that Luke was actually a doctor. So if you think about any doctor, doctors kind of have to be detail-oriented, Right? So Luke is bringing in some of the details of this story. And that's kind of the nature of his book is he's sharing the the, the details so that we can see the the, the truth of what God's saying and doing through Jesus Christ. So if we flip back and if you're as you're reading through this in in chapter one, uh, John the Baptist is born. 
kind of a miraculous, unexpected birth. The birth of Jesus is predicted. So an angel comes to Mary and tells her that you know, you're going to have this baby. And so it's quite a bit that happens there. But as we dive into chapter 2, Luke does an interesting thing. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2 again. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You see, Luke places the birth of Jesus in its historical context. This detail-oriented uh, doctor that's wanting to give a, a reliable account of what happened places the birth of Jesus in its historical context. So if you're taking notes this morning in your program, there's some fill-in-the-blanks. But our first point that we can take away from this, this morning is that we have hope that, that, that through the Christmas story, because Jesus enters history. We have hope because Jesus enters history. This is crucial. This, this beginning of this verse is crucial because it loads the significance of this whole thing. You see, Luke is pointing to, to the idea that a seemingly insignificant birth in a somewhat seemingly insignificant Jewish town in a se seemingly insignificant manger is actually the greatest event of all time. Something that on the surface looks insignificant is the greatest event of all time. Everything in the history of man was leading up to this point, this birth of this baby in a manger. I think that the Old Testament tries to kind of paint the picture for us. There's over 330 prophecies that are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ's life, there's over 330 prophecies fulfilled. I, I pulled up a couple of them, and I'll, I'll read a few of them to you. In Psalm 78, it talks about how he would preach and teach in parables, and Christ certainly did that. In Isaiah 42, 2-3, he would be humbly meek, and in Matthew, he would be humble and meek. In Matthew 11, uh, it talks about that very thing. Um, in, Ze in Zechariah 9, 9, it talks about how he would enter Jerusalem while riding on a donkey. And the Gospels record how he entered Jerusalem. In Genesis 3, I, I love these. From Genesis, there's a handful of them. He would be a human born of a woman in Genesis 3.15, and the first part of that, he talks about that. In Genesis 3.15, the, the second part, it says that he will reconcile people to God. In Genesis 3.15, the third part, he would crush evil at his own expense. In Genesis 22.18, he would be a descendant of Abraham. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, he would be a descendant of Jesse's son, King David. I could go on and on reading is Micah 5.2, he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. I could go on and on and on about some of these prophecies, but over 330 prophecies are fulfilled in the birth and life of Jesus Christ. All of history was leading up to this moment. What Luke is showing us is that it's all true and very relevant. It's true and relevant. Luke shows us that it's true and relevant by who he even mentions. Both these men or these guys that he's talking about in the days of Caesar Augustus and as well Quirinius, um, these guys are recorded in history. Luke is putting it into its historical context by talking about the rulers of the day. 
This is all important because in the midst of everything happening, in the, in the, the world spinning round and round, and the, the things that seem to be just life going on, and, and the fact of kings and countries and, and all the history of, of mankind, God didn't just let it be. God just didn't let it keep going. He entered into history. Jesus was born. So if, from our first point, to apply it just a little bit, if we're part of history, Jesus invades our history. We have hope this season because Jesus invades our history. We have a God that comes for us. He has come to pursue us. He wants that relationship with us. And our hope this time of year finds its grounding in the fact that we have a God that became one of us. Out of all of these things and, and all these prophecies and all the facts that, that Luke is recording and, and all these truths, the most important thing that we find about Jesus being born is that God pursues us. It doesn't matter how you came in the door this morning. It doesn't matter the things that you've struggled with. It doesn't matter about the person you might have been or the person you might even be right now. He steps, what this shows us that God steps right in the middle of that to invade our history. And he wants to change our history for the better. Because that's what Jesus did when he came is he changed history. The greatest thing that ever happened, he changed all of history. And he steps into our history to change it for the better. So you're either here this morning and, and you've made that decision, you're like, I'm going to let I'm gonna let God iron this out. Follow Christ. Or maybe you're here and he's waiting, saying, Are you gonna let me iron this out? Are you gonna let me step into your history and make a difference to change your life? But secondly, taking that next step, we give hope during the Christmas season when everything else we do this time of year, and a lot of what we do is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Man, the eating and the giving presents and that putting up a tree is all really awesome. But in the midst of that, we tell people Jesus came for you. It doesn't matter who they are. We say that Christmas is important because Jesus came for you to everyone that we encounter, everyone that needs to hear that. And you probably know somebody this morning that needs to hear that. But of course, this passage moves on. If you look at, at verse 4 with me, Luke continues the story. So verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So Luke is painting this picture, and Joseph, Jesus' father, takes center stage here. So kind of the, sh the story shifts and kind of focuses on Joseph for a minute. You see, Joseph was, was, was going about his business. He was being a good citizen, and he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was going to his birth town or his family town to go uh, for the census and pay taxes and, 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 and do what he was supposed to do. So they were planning and making this trip. I mean, do you, any of you guys travel this time of year? Um, I, I was thinking here recently we went to Nebraska for Thanksgiving, but flying with two uh, kids under two. There's a, I mean, you feel like you're taking the circus with you, right? So like you go on a, on a vacation or you're, you're making a trip, and man, it, 
it gets pretty crazy. But 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 that's what Joseph and, and since Mary are doing here is is they're going about their business. And, and, and if you've ever had a crazy, messy, I mean, imagine in the middle of Christmas when all this is going on, a crazy, messy Christmas, they were reminded that we're not alone. That there's a lot of people that have a crazy, messy, all over the place, pack in the circus type Christmas. But in the midst of all this, of, of Joseph doing what he's supposed to do, going to his hometown, Mary going with him, here's the thing. Babies generally come when they want to come, right? Babies come when they generally, when they want to come. So what I'm saying in this is, as, as Luke's talking about Joseph and Joseph being a good citizen and going to where he's supposed to go in the midst of packing up the circus and making the trip to, to Bethlehem, we have to think about the factors behind the fact that Jesus was born when he was born. In the midst of that crazy messiness, I think we, we think about Jesus being born, but we rarely think about what had to, to kind of fall into place for some of these prophecies to unfold like they did. So in Micah 5, nearly 700 years before the birth of Christ, it was prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, right? 700 years before he was born there. And like I just said a minute ago, babies come when they want to come, right? It's not like they were putting it on the calendar, especially back then. Like, like they didn't put it on the calendar and say, this baby's going to come on this day while we're in Bethlehem. They had no clue. Let me, let me open this up a little bit. First of all, think of the fact that Joseph was in the line of David. So that's a prophecy right there, which meant that he had to go to Bethlehem for the census. If he was in any, any, any other family, they would have had to go to a different town. They had to go to the town of, of, of David because he was of the line of David. But there's more. But, Let's open it up even a little bit more. Caesar Augustus was the predecessor to Julius Caesar. Both, both guys, especially Julius Caesar, you've probably heard of him before. Uh, he was his predecessor. And Julius Caesar had been uh, uh, assassinated. I think it's called the Ides of March. He was assassinated. And so uh, Caesar Augustus had to be uh, in power. And he took over for Julius Caesar. And history holds, you can look in some of the history books, when uh, Augustus took power, he was kind of thought to be weak, and he wanted to change the image of Rome because everything had Julius Caesar's picture and, and uh, statues on it. So because of this, uh, history tells us that he enacted this um, uh, tax that, that would send people back to their hometowns so that he could pay to change all those statues, a sense of beautification project. So the census of all of the known world was uh, so that he could pay for beautifying Rome. And that's what called Joseph to go to Bethlehem. But, it, but think of this a little bit more. From there, to get the word out, he had to send a written proclamation. Like, he didn't have email. Like, he couldn't send a text. He, could, he couldn't even send a phone call. They had to send a written proclamation to all the parts of his kingdom. And so to send the proclamation, to make it to Bethlehem, it probably had to go by a ship. And any number of things could have gone wrong with that ship crossing the sea, like a storm, or there could have been favorable winds that could have gotten there sooner. If the, if, if the message would have gotten there sooner, Mary and Joseph would have gotten the message sooner. And they would have gone to Bethlehem sooner. Or if it was late, they would have got it later, and they would have gone to Bethlehem later. Again, let me remind you, babies come when they want to come. The message arrived right when it was supposed to. 
But even more, speaking of Mary and Joseph, Scripture tells us that they had to travel a trip of 85 to 90 miles. Anybody ever done that on foot? I've never done that on foot. 85 to 90 miles. Any number of things could have gone wrong in their, in their journey. They could have stopped somewhere to eat, and the labor could have started in the middle of dinner, right? Or, or they could have been held up in that first century traffic that was... You know, everybody was traveling to a different city, and there might have been traffic. I don't know. Their camel could have broken down or got sick or something like that. Uh, Are you kind of catching my drift? In all of this, those babies come when they want to come, especially in those days. And as we're thinking about that, the prophecy from Micah 700 years before saying that Jesus would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Any number of things could have gone wrong and and Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem. He would have been born on the road. He would have been born in Nazareth. He would have have been a a, a one-year-old by the time they got to Bethlehem. And that's the way it is for over 300 prophecies. Here's my point in all of this, that, that if one little thing went, went haywire and it, didn't, it wasn't to God's plan, if, if one thing was off, Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem. But my second point, and if you're taking notes, you can uh, fill it in your program, we have hope in the Christmas season because God shows up at just the right time. We have hope in the Christmas season because God shows up at just the right time. Any number of things could have changed when Jesus was born. But it was God's plan that he would be born in Bethlehem. And everything fell into place so that he would be born there. So to push this in a little bit, I I think we can kind of relate to Mary and Joseph. They were kind of just going about their business. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. We kind of do that in the Christmas season. We do kind of what we're supposed to do. Like, you, you tell my wife that it's Christmas season, she just starts buying stuff left and right. It's like, I get home, there's more stuff under the tree, you know? And we're shopping and buying groceries, and we're doing what we're supposed to do, and it's not bad. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were going about the business. But in the midst of that crazy, messy, messy Christmas, I love what chapter, or verse 7 says here. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. And all the crazy, busy, messy, everything going on, they have this baby. And Mary does exactly what she should do. She doesn't go out and start buying groceries for the dinner that night. She's, she's not caught up in maybe like, tax paperwork. Okay, I don't know if they had tax paperwork, but she's not preoccupied with something else. She does exactly what a new mother is supposed to do, and she wraps Jesus, her baby, and swaddles him. When we're looking at that, when she swaddles a baby, she could be doing anything else. We realize that Mary was in the moment. Mary was doing what she needed to do to care for her baby the Savior of the world. And as we're entering into this busy season, to to apply what I'm saying here is our challenge is to be in the moment. There's a lot of things to be doing. I'm not saying quit doing those things, but be in the moment. 
Don't miss who you're supposed to take for you, who you're supposed to love, who you're supposed to connect with, the way that God's working in your life in the midst of the crazy, messy Christmas. We can't overlook the things that we need to be focused on this time of year. We can't overlook the details that, that matter most. And so because Christ enters in at just the right moment, it means that he's present with us, and that's what we're looking at this Christmas season. So be present this season. Finally, we look at verse 7 to wrap this up. Our third point this morning is that we have hope, and we give hope this season because Jesus is here. We give that hope because Jesus is here. Verse 7, and she gave birth. Man, new babies are awesome. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This last point is simple. It's the fact that Jesus is here. We have hope because Jesus is here in this season. That's what Christmas reminds us of. That's what the birth story reminds us of. This verse is simple yet profound. The fact that Jesus was born and became one of us, that God became man to give us hope, to give hope to all of mankind. It wasn't just an insignificant birth that happened 2,000 years ago. It was the most important thing that ever happened. It changes everything. And that simple fact that Jesus is here, that is the greatest fact in all of history. It's the most important birth in all of history. This is the most important fact because it helps us iron things out. It's the most important fact because through his birth, through his relating to us and then his death and burial and resurrection, Jesus changes everything. He wants to take our history. He wants to take history and iron it out. So I think what's important in this is, is that we see that Christ is with us. When we use that terminology, Emmanuel, Christ with us. We're challenged to be the incarnation of Christ this Christmas. We're challenged to show up. We need to be present for those around us. I preached it a few weeks ago, but 2 Corinthians 5 says this well. It says that, that God was, this is the message of the gospel, that God was reconciling the world to himself. This is why Jesus came, because God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, saying that through Christ and following him, we don't have to face our sins on our own anymore. In verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Be Christ to people, be present, show up for people, love people. Invite them to church with you in this season. Ultimately, we can be the Christ of Christmas for those around us. As he's working in our lives and as we're real with that, and as he's working to iron out the things from our history, we can go to others and say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's doing in my life. Why don't you come to church with me? Why don't we talk about what it means that he was born? Let's talk about why we give gifts. So we can be the Christ of Christmas for those around us. So as I conclude, I ask that everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes.
If you would just bow your head and close your eyes. I know we talk about it every week, but I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe that God speaks to us when we open His Word.